Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Thanks for listening to a broom edition of Cavs the Podcast. I'm Cavs the Blog Podcast. Don't even start with me, Nate. <laughs> I, I'm your host, Tom Pestak, and I'm joined by a uh, cantankerous Nate Smith, although I, I really loved your recap, Nate. You, you did a great job oh, thank with that. You. And uh, Elijah Kim, he's a rook, but, man, he really brought it in the last pod, so we decided to bring him back on. So, uh, guys... Cavs took care of business. Um, Nate, tell me, you know, what'd you think of the game four win and, and what'd you think of, uh, of the, the Cavs as a whole, um, you know, winning, winning all four against the Pistons. Well, the thing that I liked the best was that the Cavs played with a sense of urgency in every single game. Uh, you know, they had the first two games and then despite the fact that, uh, they had a two Oh lead, they played very hard in the third and then a 3-0 lead played very hard in the fourth game uh and just something we've seen from this playoffs so far especially in the east where every other series is 2-2 and in the west where all of a sudden we have uh steph curry out for potentially two weeks you need as teams need to take care of business when they have the opportunity because you never know what can happen you know injury wise or just a, your opponent getting confidence, you getting worn down. This week off that the Cavs have is going to tremendously help them. Maybe not in the next series, but uh, you know, going forward throughout the playoffs, uh, that's just going to be an extra little bit of energy that every other team doesn't have. Uh, so, so bully on the Cavs for uh, for finishing out the series. Uh, a little bit, I thought that they had a lot of luck last night and you know I, I believe you make your own luck but uh the Cavs Cavs definitely uh hit some improbable shots you know a half quarter from Kyrie 30 footer as the buzz as the buzzer sounds from J.R. Smith and then a you know an isolation shot from Kyrie as the Shotcocks won in down uh and survived uh an onslaught of possibly ill-conceived threes from uh, Reggie Jackson and company of the uh, of the Detroit Pistons. And I really thought Ty Lue coached well. I didn't think he coached fantastically, but I actually was one of the worst coached series I've seen from Stan Van Gundy. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, uh, Stanley Johnson is number two in the playoffs right now in points per possession. Uh, getting about 1.4 points per possession, uh, where he, uh, you know, where they use him, and yet he only played 22 minutes a game for 
the Pistons. And I was frankly very happy that Stanley Johnson didn't play more because I thought that he was one of the best uh, Pistons on the floor. And that small lineup uh, with him and Marcus Morris at the five and uh, Tobias Harris at the four, I thought really could have caused the Cavs some problems and they never really got it rolling. And part of it was a, a little bit of an insistence for uh, Stan Van Gundy to keep playing uh, Andre Drummond. And Andre Drummond, his lack of mental toughness or toughness definitely was noticeable. Uh, he kind of seemed defeated every time they sent him to the line. And, uh, and he kind of made some curious, he just has like a passiveness about him at times that kind of belies his size and his, his, uh, stature. Does he remind so, you, know. does he remind you of Andrew Bynum at all? The way his temperament is? No, cause Andrew Bynum had a, uh, he had a kind of a nasty streak to him and, and by all accounts, uh, Andrew Bynum was a very, very smart person uh, who hated playing basketball, whereas I don't get that vibe at all uh, from Andre Drummond, that, that personality-wise they're similar. Uh, he just, I'm trying to think, he reminds me a little bit of Sean Kemp. You know, in, in that he had, you know, that face Sean Kemp would have all the time, just kind of like, <laughs> a, he's got a, Sean. It's like a lazy Sean, eye. <laughs> yeah, the Sean Kemp face. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not but sure, I, I, Nate, but I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll let it fly, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I just, just, uh, just an attitude, I guess. Uh, later year, maybe, maybe Cavs, Sean Kemp, maybe not, uh. Uh, Sonic Sean Kemp, but uh, I really liked the way the big three played. Thought they played really well, uh, even when the shots weren't falling. Everybody was finding a way to contribute, uh, and, and I know you had a lot of thoughts about that, Eli. Uh, you know, tell me what you thought of the big three. Is this uh, what you were hoping for? Yeah, I mean, ever since this team's been assembled, I think we've all been begging for this combination of of uh, scoring, rebounding effort. Um, from these three guys, and uh, I think the most impressive part for me in Game Four was when you know Kevin Love was struggling mightily in the game, and I think he was at he was like one for ten at halftime, but he still you know tried his best on defense, even though he's you know athletically challenged, but he also continued to rebound, and he had ten rebounds at half, so. Um, I think in every game this series, there's been, you know, one member of the big three isn't really quite up to par. And game four was Kevin Love's game where he kind of struggled. But um, I feel like, you know, this series kind of epitomizes why LeBron probably came back home because he could lean on two younger guys to carry him when he his shot isn't falling. And he didn't really, LeBron didn't really have a great uh, shooting game in he this series, I feel like he's only had one, you know, good shooting game, and they've won all four games. And Kyrie and Kevin Love have a huge uh, part of that. Yeah, I actually thought, in a lot of ways, the Cavs don't have a big three; they have a big six. Um, that 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 first six man of 
you know, LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin, Tristan Thompson, and uh, J.R. Smith and Delhi, uh, really, it's so hard to load up on any one guy. And especially when you've got uh, J.R. Smith just shooting the lights out like he does. I mean, he if you leave anyone alone and they and they find a way to swing the ball to J.R. Smith, he was he just he just knocks down shots and he had some enormous shots in that game. I mean, to go five for seven, you just can't leave him open. And and it helps him immensely. Uh and and Tristan Thompson, not a great series numbers wise, but really playing a guy that was much larger than him and doing a very good job of limiting his effectiveness. Uh, and, and the offensive rebounds and the and the the you know the general hustle was was really impressive uh, from from Tristan and I I thought the the galva kind of the galvanizing point of the game was when Kevin Love got on the floor for that loose ball it reminded me a lot of the charge he took uh, you know against the Lakers last year just kind of one of those unheralded plays that really gets the whole team going yeah and i was proud of um you know i was listening to the Cavs broadcast and fred mcleod right away brought up he had no business getting that ball and he did oh yeah um, yeah he really didn't you know and, and that you know that there was another play like that the uh well the and not only that well just to finish out your thought not only that kevin love traditionally not a great jump ball player and won that jump ball i uh, really did a nice job on that as well so i well, it, it, that thought. Yeah, no, but it it reminded me of the highlight play where you know he kind of lost the ball as he was driving into the paint, and there's a mm-hmm. sea of bodies. And Kevin Love, you know, is not the guy you generally think of as who's going to be the first to the to the floor. And he he somehow got down, got a couple fingers on it, and and in one motion, you know, shot a missile over into the corner uh, to. Um, LeBron, and then of course end up <laughs> and ended up recovering to the three point line, getting it back and uh, and hitting that that huge three. So I thought um, I really liked what I saw from Kevin Love in this series. I know he did have a really rough shooting night, but I I felt like his rebounding didn't fade in fourth quarters, and that was um, something that we had right. noticed throughout the season. Like man, this guy. I mean, he just seems so tired by the fourth. He can't get to loose balls. He can't get to rebounds. And um, I felt like there were times when he was on the court and he was the center, and um, he was keeping Andre Drummond off the boards. I, I thought his defensive rebounding in this series was outstanding. So, um, all right, so got, I, I enjoyed listening to you guys on those segments. So we're going to play our first um, potent perception here, and it is going to be revolving around... Uh, the Cavs' three-point proliferation. So, was it Game Two or Game Three? I think it was Game Three where they set the NBA or they tied the NBA record for three-pointers in a playoff game. Can I? Can you guys check me on that? Is that was a Game Two or Game Three? I think that was Game Two. Oh, now you're gonna make me check box scores. Well, anyway, while we're while we're no, th- well, it was Game Two or oh, Game Three. Game Three. Okay. Oh nope, Game Two. Sorry. Cavs take, Cavs take record game two. Game two, okay. So um, potent perception. How many more three pointers per game 
are the Cavs attempting um, in the playoffs versus the regular season? And how many more three-pointers per game are the Cavs making um, in the playoffs versus the regular season? So, Nate, I'll ask you the attempting, and Eli, uh, I'll ask you the making. I'm going to go five attempting and two more making. Okay, you're, you're very close on the attempting. It's actually uh, 4.9, so well done. <laughs> uh, and how about... Um, Eli, what are your what are your guesses for the making? So we know there's they're they're, they're attempting four point nine more threes per game in the playoffs than they did in the regular season. How many more do you think they're making? I think it's got to be higher because that one anomaly of a game. Um, maybe like three point two. That's really close. It's actually three point six. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot. I mean, three point six more threes per game. That's like you know, that's an extra 10 points plus coming from threes. And they're shooting, um, so they're shooting, they're attempting the most threes per game in the playoffs at 34.5, which is a lot of threes. Uh, especially given the fact that they're not playing at, like, an insane pace. You know, they're still kind of in the lower end of the of the pace. Um, yeah, their pace adjusted uh, three-point <laughs> attempts is going to be really high. Yeah, and and they're making fourteen point three threes per game. That's that's a ton. Um, yeah, they're pace adjusted. They're making like fifteen point two threes per game. So uh, that's been a big part of the story. And you know, some of it you wonder. Okay, you know, we're talking about Kyrie and we're talking about Jr. Um, those two guys aren't always getting threes because the team executed their offense to crisp perfection. Um, I, I mean, JR is a, a pretty much a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter at this point, so I guess maybe it's more um, about is he just is he making them or not because he takes so many contested threes. Kyrie takes a lot off the dribble, um, so, I mean, it's a great sign. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'd be interested to see, um, of course, LeBron shooting 20% from three. Uh, Kevin Love and Delhi are shooting a good percentage, but they're not taking as many, uh, nearly as many as it's, it's really. This is all really being buoyed by Jr. and Kyrie. So, um, kudos to them for being just devastating. I'm sure Stan Van Gundy was watching that last game and watching those shots go in from from way downtown and just shaking his yeah. head. Yeah, no, the, uh, the the video of Stan Van Gundy after the half-court shot was just, you could just tell he was demoralized. Yeah. Um, now, the the other part, I, I also think it was by design, based on the matchup, uh, you know, really to limit the effectiveness of Andre Drummond, uh, you know, because they didn't, he's such a great help defender and really is a good, does a good job of uh, protecting the paint that, you know, they wanted to, to mitigate him a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see what their second round playoff opponent does defensively if they really try and take away the three-point shot, and if the Cavs respond by you know getting inside more. Well, so that's a that brings up a good point. I mean, you you know we've all heard the phrase "live by the three, die by the three. Do you feel like now? I think we all agree the Cavs are going to win this series. They were the better team, and and frankly, not only did they seem more prepared than the Pistons, but they were scrappier than the Pistons. So they were going to win no matter what. But do you feel like maybe the sweep 
was a little bit fortunate given all the three-point shooting? Or, or was there anything in this that made you feel like, oh, the Cavs caught some breaks? Um, you know, what did you think about that, Nate? Was it a well-deserved sweep, or could this I mean, have it, easily been like a five-game series? It could have been a five-game series pretty easily. I mean, the Cavs miss a couple triples in that last game. It certainly could have been. You mean the, um, Pist- you mean the Pistons did? That's what I meant. Yeah. No, no, if the Cavs had missed a couple threes. Oh, if the, yeah, okay. Yeah. Or, or that, like Reggie Jackson went 0 of 6 from 3. Oh, uh, my favorite was the 0 of 3 inside of a minute. Yeah, well, in <laughs> that one possession. Uh, Harris, he shot two and Harris, Harris shot one. Yeah, they, and, and they were pretty much all open. <laughs> and and I'm glad that you listened to the Fox broadcast because Fred McLeod was incredulous. Yeah, he's like, what is he thinking? <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, that was a great and, call. And uh, and yeah, that I really thought Richie Jackson played a very poor series. And well, in fourth quarters, he was pretty bad. He was pretty bad. And the other thing, you know, Stan Van Gundy gets uh, a rap as being a very good coach, but you know, I really feel as if you know, it's it, it's long been an edict of mine that teams adapt adapt the attitude of their head coach and. Stan Van Gundy's over emotionalism, I felt hurt the Pistons because I I felt like he made a lot of decisions and a lot of statements out of emotion rather than you like know when thinking, he, like when he threw Drummond under the bus in the Game Three press conference. Yeah, I, I was like, what what does that help? Well, that and you know in Game Three, I really was like baffled he didn't bring Drummond in immediately after the two minute mark at the end of the game because. The Cavs had no answer for Drummond in that game other than to, you know, intentionally foul him. Mm-hmm. But they didn't even roll with Drummond at the end of that game. Now, that being said, Drummond gets a rebound and you immediately foul him. You know, that becomes difficult. But with the Pistons behind, I, I don't think you're going to do that. So, yeah, no. And Reggie Jackson just seemed like he played out of control a, a lot at times. And that last shot that he had where he tried to bait Kyrie into a call yeah, that was... or bait the refs into a call was, it was a good no call. Yeah. I mean, he, cause he did really launch himself into Kyrie after, and he could have ducked under and shot it. They <clears> only <throat> needed a two, you know, he could have taken another dribble and pulled up from the free throw line and sent the game to overtime, but they, they went for the win. So, yeah. Yeah. And the NBA came out today and said that it wasn't, it was a good, yeah, no call. So, yeah, they actually vindicated the Cavs on that whole final two minutes. They even said that the play, Nate, that you were kind of harping on Kyrie for being stupid for, and dribbling to the corner. They actually said that should have been a foul on a Reggie Jackson. Yeah, but so what? You still shouldn't dribble to the corner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Like, what was your well, and your and you know, this is the NBA. You're not gonna get. Uh, a call on bailout long two pull-ups less than a minute in the game <laughs> with a, less than a minute left in the game they'll you know the the nba will forever say yeah we should have called that a foul <laughs> yeah you know well, yeah. go ahead and finish so, your thought eli yeah Sorry, i think you know no no problem but that's actually why a lot of players take those long twos because they feel like if they drive it they're not going to get the call especially in crunch time yeah. I think that's why all those players, you know, that's why Kobe did it, MJ did it, LeBron did it. I mean, all those those guys know that they're not going to get that call. So yeah. I, 
in one point you well, can't kind of especially the the more frail guys like LeBron and MJ have the strength to finish through contact um but but yeah you saw you see more and more of those guys just pull up for that too uh you know Tim Duncan was kind of a, a really good when he was an offensive force a really good guy at at catching the ball on the post and and banking one in or shooting one in but you more like you, that three it, he hit remember that oh yeah that was, that was that was wild. that was classic yeah. so yeah i mean it, i i definitely see where you're coming from but i i did not feel as if the so did any of you guys i obviously were a Cavs blog and i i wish we had pulled up the stats of you know non hack a drum and free throws I kind of felt like the the free throw disparity was fairly even if you include uh, the the bang a drum defense as as you like to call it, Tom. I, I didn't feel like it went too far either way. I was uh, actually I thought the refs let a lot go in this series, and I generally it, uh, appreciate that. I don't I don't like a lot of ticky tack, yeah. especially like. Um, you know, fouls thirty feet away from the hoop yeah. on dribble drive. Kind yeah, of things. I just dislike the the excessive stuff. You know, the arm bar. Yeah, up, well, yeah. Up. I mean, Marcus yeah. Morris. I mean, that was a vicious, you yeah, know, snap move he did on Kevin Love's arm. You know, we're we're all fortunate he didn't seriously injure him. And then Drummond's elbow, and just there was a lot of little after the whistle uh, hits to LeBron that. You know, LeBron's a big boy, I get it, but it's kind of like, come on, like, this is, it'd be one thing if it was the actual foul itself. It was after the foul. That's what kept bothering me about it. Um, they were cheap shots, and so that brings me to our, our next potent perception, because I think it was um, game four, where, the, the last game, where Fred McLeod and AC were pretty incredulous about the lack of whistles for LeBron James. So, um, gentlemen, I want to ask you, and I'll just tell you right off the bat, for his career, LeBron James in the playoffs averages 9.4 free throws per game. How many free throws per game did he average in this series? I'll start with you, Nate. Mm, five. Okay, how about you, Elijah? I think it was like four... Maybe four is my guess. Both of you are too high. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Wow. He didn't even average four free throws a game. He averaged three point eight. Wow. And um, you know, I I didn't feel like this this series was some kind of you know great example of LeBron settling or anything like that. I, I felt like he was getting down into the post. He was running in transition. He was coming off curls. I mean, it wasn't his most aggressive series ever, and certainly in the last two games, I felt like he deferred a little more. But that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, oh yeah, well, and I've heard a lot of rumblings about the fact that there's a that a Adam Silver is very very involved in the officiating in the NBA, uh, and there was a big push last year when he took over to clean up the officiating, and now. Uh, and one of the things I heard was uh, by uh, Bulgaris, who is a gambler that uh, Bill Simmons has on on occasion, uh, was talking about how in the playoffs, 
Uh, home field advantage used to be, or home court advantage used to be worth about four points a game on average. And since Adam Silver has taken over, it's worth actually about two points a game. Okay. Um, and there's kind of a let them play edict going on this year. And you've really seen it about the very creative ways that the NBA has avoided suspending guys. I mean, you saw Isaiah Thomas basically smack, yeah, smack uh, Jeff uh, yeah, Dennis Schroeder in the head. Yeah, my boy. And and <laughs> didn't get suspended. You saw no call from the forearm by Andre Drummond, which I found a little shocking. Mm-hmm. And you also, I haven't heard anything about the Marcus Morris thing. And then, of course, the flagrant two assessed to all the flagrants to. Um, Kevin Durant have been, you know, at the end of games rather than after the game so that uh, he can't be suspended for a future game. So I really feel like the the NBA has tried to let them play and kind of up the competitiveness of these series a little bit. But I also feel like somebody's going to get hurt yeah. uh, as things go on. And you you saw, you know, obviously the Steph Curry injury had nothing to do with anything any other player did. No. But you also see... But you, but saw, the, you saw the Michael Beasley get body slammed by Draymond Green, and I don't think anything happened. Did he even get... No, they called a flagrant uh, afterwards. It was okay. a flagrant one so after the game. what did that mean? Did he get some kind of, like... He got fine? a fine. Okay. Yeah. And it's also considered a technical, and it's also so many... A combination of so many flagrants and technicals add up, and you can get suspended for a playoff game. Okay. So... Uh, but it was still, you know, the ridiculousness uh, with which the NBA officiates the Warriors has kind of reached comical proportions, especially with the the late game screens by Draymond Green. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and also these guys that the other thing that happens is you get these guys that have reputations, and they get these reputation fouls like J.R. Smith, uh, and then I, I kind of feel like. Um, Michael Beasley is kind of in the same boat as J.R. Smith because he's a knucklehead. He can't get a call. Yeah. Now, I uh, the other thing that happened is I, I feel like J.R. has kind of gotten more fe- a more fair shake from the refs mm-hmm. since he just got absolutely hosed in that Boston game. Yeah. And he didn't show the refs up after he, he didn't talk about it, so I kind of feel like the refs, okay, we've, we've given you your punishment, and now we're going to be fair with you again. Because, I mean, earlier this year... Uh, Jr. could look at a guy wrong and get a foul call. Oh, it was so. ridiculous! How, <laughs> and yeah. literally, that's what happened in the Boston game. <laughs> like, if you would if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that one Jr. would have been more valuable than Iman Shumpert, and two, basically he would have gone a whole season without any sort of, you know, either on court or off court conduct issues. And three, you would have told me he would be leading the Cavs in three pointers made in the playoffs at this point. I would have gone, wow. Like, I, you know, I mean, even last year, we, we all got into JR, and I wrote that big piece about how he's kind of reinvented himself as a role player. And he kind of let us down a little bit, I thought, it, it, during parts of the playoffs. Now, he was, fanta- well, he was fantastic. In the yeah, in the finals, especially. Uh, but also in the first round against Boston, you know, so. But so far, he's been like a model citizen, despite the fact that he gets no love from the reps. So, yeah, I mean, credit and, to him and, for for rising above that. He he has exceeded. 
being a role player, I mean, you, I almost consider him a fourth star on this team, the way he's shooting the ball. Yeah. I mean, offensively, he provides so much space, and I he's right underneath the top three in terms of, of scoring. Uh, and in terms of standard deviation, I almost feel like he is a more consistent scorer than, you know, Love or Kyrie are at times. Yeah, we could look into that. Find, maybe I'll look into that for you to find out if that's true or not. Because I don't know, but that would be a that'd be an interesting potent perception. It would be a good potent perception. Yeah. So, so um, what about you, Eli? Do you feel like the Cavs got lucky at all in that game? Uh, and, and <clears throat> in Game Four, I definitely doubt they got lucky. I mean, if if Kyrie doesn't make that half court three, I mean, I know it's hard to say you have a whole quarter to play, but. Um, I thought they also got pretty lucky with, um, you know, Jr. having a good game from three with those heat checks oh. and fall away fadeaway threes. He just threes. needs no room to get his shot off. None. I know. His release is so quick and his elevation is so good that it's just like you can't give him any space. Yeah. I remember uh, last year against the Hawks, I think, when he, like, waited for the guys. Like, I think it was Corver. He would wait for Corver to try to come up on him, and then he'd shoot it in uh, <laughs> in Atlanta. And then after after the game, he said, yeah, it's no fun shooting when you're wide open. You gotta... <laughs> it's much better to shoot it in someone's face. And yeah. he, I think he was he actually, actually, like, the he, most... He actually practices with the uh, early 2000s versions of cover beat uh, you know, people just waving the uh, Kyle Corver centerfolds in front of them. <laughs> up Tiger Beat, not Cover Beat. Tiger Beat. Damn, I screwed that joke up. <laughs> but I think uh, he, <laughs> I think J.R. Smith. You know, Tom and I talked about this a little bit. You know, it's it's just one of those things you want to believe that it's going to be consistent through the whole playoffs, and it's kind of hard to you know fully believe it. I mean, he did have one game this series where he struggled mightily. And didn't shoot as much. Um, so obviously, you know, that's the beauty of the Cavs. You have like the big six, like you said, and you can interchange any of those six guys. And if two or three of them are on, you have a good chance to win the game. Well, and, and I like that it's not all scoring either. Like you've got uh, Tristan Thompson changing the game with his rebounding. You've got uh, Delhi changing the game with his passing. And, you know, they really have you know, between Delhi and LeBron and Kevin Love uh, with the outlet pass. So you've really got three, and even Kyrie, four guys who can change the game with their passing. And then you got a guy like Shumpert and Delhi uh, that can change the game with their defense. Uh, they, they just have so many ways to beat you now, and that's one thing that, that great things ha- great teams have. Speaking uh, of, uh, you brought up Delhi, and that reminded me of... Um, you know, one of the other things the Cavs did in this playoff series that was very unlike uh, the regular season was they really took care of the ball. Um, and, yes. you, and you reminded me of that because I know Delhi finished the series with 16 dimes and only one turnover, which is incredible to, think, you to think about. You couldn't turn that into a potent perception, Tom? Oh, man, I, I should, probably should I'm really disappointed in you. I just gave it away. I, okay, I got <laughs> yeah, to do a better job with my with keeping it close to the vest. But, well, I'll, I'll turn this into a potent perception. Um, the Cavs averaged 
I believe, 18, was it 14? Let me find it. Turnovers per game. Um, okay, so during the regular season, the Cavaliers averaged about 22.7 assists per game and 13.6 turnovers per game. So that's not a two, not even a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, take a guess, and I'll just tell you right off the bat, their assists were almost identical. They averaged, they averaged 22 as opposed to 22.7 assists per game in the playoffs. How many turnovers do you think they averaged in those four games? Knowing, Eli. knowing that in the regular season they averaged 13.6 per game. Well, I remember in game one, I think they had only four. So yeah, which was just stupid. <laughs> and that's going to really skew it down. Someone say like seven point eight. Okay, Nate. Uh, I'm going to go nine. Okay, well, if I kind of split the difference, uh, you guys both win. It's eight point five. Wow. wow. So that is that, tops, that is a very good. That's tops in the NBA. Um, and that's, I mean, that's five, that's more than five turnovers per game less. So you can really how, see. How is that uh, per possession? Um, Do you have per a, possession? Yeah, I, I can, I can look per possession. Um, because I, I mean, I feel like a little bit of that is the Cavs play a pretty slow pace, but even, even with a slower pace, that's, that's a very impressive Yeah, I can numbers. do like a pace adjust. Uh, in terms of the pace, Eli, uh, what did you think? We we had a discussion on the blog today uh, about, you know, were the Cavs slowing it down too much at the end of games? or oh, prevent offense? Yeah, or given the amount of minutes they were playing the starters, was, was that appropriate? I mean, I think, you know, the Cavs with LeBron have shown that at times they're like the most dominant half-court team. I mean, aesthetically, no, it's hideous. <laughs> but but statistically or it can be hideous yeah correct but statistically they've always been a good slow paced team i mean i know that was one of the things that lou wanted to try to fix um and you know he made such a big deal about it but the cavs actually i think played almost dead even to what david blatt's pace yeah. was um so i think in the playoffs i think it does grind down a little bit more, and I think I assume our pace is well below the 96, 97 possessions. Yeah, it's like 88. It's been slower, but wow. that's that's just kind of playoff basketball, especially in the East, I think. But um, we did have, you know, 88. So 88, 88 per game? Yep. Yeah. So at, um, what do you say, 8.5? Yeah, so the, both of them go up a little bit if you pace adjust them. Their assists go up a little bit, and their turnovers go up to like 9. Yeah, but that's like a that's uh, really one. Good. Yeah, that's like only ten percent of their possessions. There, yeah, I mean that's up. like way better than any team did during the regular season, and it's the best yeah. in the playoffs so far. So if you if you compare their uh, stats, their raw stats um, from these first four games to the regular season, they pretty much everything is about the same, with the exception of they shot way more threes and they made way more threes. And they just didn't turn the ball over at all. Everything else was about the same, and that's a. T- and, and I'm glad they rebounded as well as they did because the Pistons are a good offensive rebounding team. They're a good rebounding team in general, and they did not have a rebounding advantage in this series, despite the fact that 
Timofey Mozgov didn't play at all, and so the Cavs were putting oh, under- or or maybe because of the fact. <laughs> well, I don't know. But I'm just saying. Well, know, Timo has never been a great rebounder, uh, and yeah, but his he's a body to keep. Well, no, drumming. but even his team impact on rebounding has never been that great. Yeah, but I'm just saying uh, his his body going into this series, knowing um, it, earlier in the season when he was struggling, I argued that you got to figure it out because there are some teams yeah. when you don't want to not have him. And Drummond was usually the example I pointed to first. It's like he'll eat Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love alive. And and he did. I mean, he had his moments, but um, he was not some kind of overwhelming force that the Cavs couldn't deal with. I, I thought it was interesting. If you, I don't know if you noticed in Game 4, the Cavs kind of switched it up. They wanted to get the ball out of Reggie Jackson's hands, um, and they were purposely trapping. They weren't like icing or or hedging. Well, they, and recovery. they iced some on. They iced some, and they blitzed it too. They, it I seemed saw like them, they were icing the on the left half. side and trapping on the right side. Well, yeah, or at or at uh, right on the top of the key, they were trapping. Yeah. They were, and, but it was all. It seemed all designed. Like they knew. Drummond was going to roll and he was going to get that pass. And LeBron generally playing free safety would step up. And a couple times Drummond tried to make a move and missed. A couple times he kind of was surprised someone was there already and kicked it out. Um, but that's a little different defensive look than they were giving earlier in the series. I don't know if the um, the edict, to use the word you've used twice already in this podcast, was to get the ball out of Reggie Jackson's hands. But um, that was interesting the way the Cavs did that. So, um, yeah, so if you want to look at the current playoff numbers, um, right now, actually, Cleveland and Charlotte are, like, averaging about eight and a half turnovers per game, which is by far and away uh, the best in the league. And the Cavs are literally, like, blowing everyone out of the water in three-pointers made. Like, the next closest team, the Cavs are making 14.3 per game. The next closest team is Golden State's making (laughs) 11.3. So they're making a, a whole three more per game. Um, so that'd be interesting to see. You know, I mean, against certain teams, you don't want to rely on the three ball so much. But it, it is a good sign because I, again, I do feel like a lot of it was in rhythm in this series. Even the even the long bombs from Jr. You know, it was coming off action that originated away from that side of the court. Yeah, they weren't off the dribble threes. They were, even though they were contested, they were catch and shoot, which right. is a high percentage shot for Jr. Right. So, what about the defense, Tom? You know, let's talk about it a little bit. Um, I guess you know it was not great in first halves. They were. It felt like deja vu. Like every first half was about the same, didn't it? Yeah. yeah so, they gave do, them like do, you, do you have points. any uh, potent perceptions for us, Tom? Okay, let's see. Defense. Um, yeah, like let me... first half versus second half? Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll do um, in-game splits. So, uh, and and it, just my general impression, especially in the first halves of games, uh, the Cavs were really bad at closing out uh, shooters. And even when they, especially in that, that last game, but throughout the series it was either... They wouldn't close guys out, or they would uh, kind of half-heartedly close guys out. Uh, and in that last game, you saw Delhi with a couple very uh, haphazard closeouts that 
one time on Tobias Harris, just let him run right to the rim. And another time uh, on Contavious Caldwell Pope, he just kind of jumped right by him. Uh, so I, I thought the one of the points of emphasis in the uh, in the week off should be you know proper closeouts, uh, short choppy steps, uh, close out on the correct side for the shooter, and kind of kind of go from there. <laughs> all right, well, I gotta, no, I mean I, it's no, all no, just no, no, I'm, I'm not stuff. laughing at you. I'm laughing at I'm laughing at these stats that I just found. So okay, we, we, we will play potent perceptions because um, I was just looking at the uh, the in game splits by half. And right away I noticed, well, what we all knew is that the Cavs kind of played into a draw in the first half and kind of blew them out in the second half. But what was really interesting to me is that all of the Cavs' offensive stats are worse in the second half. They're less prolific from three. Their percentages are all lower. They're getting blocked more. So I'm sitting here like, okay, their defense must have just been so much better. So for your potent perception, a defensive rating is a measure of points allowed per 100 possessions. So the lower, the better. So I'm going to ask you guys, how many more, uh, or how many less points did the Cavs allow per 100 in second halves versus first halves in this series? So in other words, if they were giving up on average like 110 in first halves and 100 in second halves, you would say they're giving 10 less points per 100 in the second half. So I'll start with you, Nate. Uh, I'm going to go seven. Okay. How about you, Eli? I think it's like two, and I think it's mainly because the Cavs just slow down the game so much that they don't score as often. Okay, well, this is our all-time greatest potent perception question because the answer is close to 30. 30? The Cavs were allowing 121 points per 100 possessions in first halves. And they were allowing only 93 points per wow. 100 possessions in second half. <laughs> that is That's crazy. That is staggering. It is staggering. Their offense was actually better. Um, they had an elite offense in first halves, but their defense more than made up for it by just being so porous. But, man, did they lock down defensively in second halves. Um, wow. Yeah. Is there a big difference in the offense from half to half? Um. Their assist-to-turnover ratio goes down. Their assist ratio goes down. Yeah, yeah. but what about points per possession? Points yeah, per they possession. go from 120 to 112. Okay. Yeah. But so, so here's the thing. So in first halves, their offensive rating was 119.2, and their defensive rating was 120.9. <laughs> and, and they were actually outscored on a whole during first halves um, by about half a point per game. And um, they shot 46% from three. Uh, they, um, they had way more assists. They had more steals. It was more up-tempo. And in second halves, their field goal percentage went down. Their three-point percentage went down. Their free throw percentage went down. Their assists went down. Um, their steals went down. They got blocked more. But holy crap, did they tighten the screws on the Pistons. I mean, they just really did. So. Well, that that is very interesting, and and one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the in the playoffs uh, so far is the very shortened rotations. 
Uh, you're seeing the Cavs' top six guys, even the top five guys, run a ton of minutes. And then just a couple guys getting, you know, 20-plus minutes a night. You haven't seen... Yeah, we haven't seen Delhi as much as I thought we would. You haven't seen Channing Fry very much at all? No, you haven't. And, okay, so next potent perception. Um, see if you guys can rank the top four Cavaliers in terms of playoff uh, per minute plus minus. Hmm. I think I know one of the secret ones. Okay, what is it? I think Richard Jefferson's one of them. He is. You're correct. He, he is. He's yes. Number, he's number two. He's only played 66 minutes, which actually, that's a lot more, a lot more than, than I thought thing. he would play. Yeah. Um, he's almost played as many minutes as Delhi, who's only played 72. Yeah, but he had that one monster game where he was, yeah, like, it was, like, he was like plus 25. Yeah, yeah. and Delhi yeah. was plus 25 that game as well. Yeah, that was game two. Well, so is Delhi number one? No. Okay, I think not. LeBron's number one, right? LeBron's no, he's one. not. Wow. You guys should know what number one is since it was the it was the segue into this question. Who's the guy that you said has been playing really well but hardly playing at all? Oh, Channing Fry. Yeah, Channing Fry. Channing Fry is averaging when Channing Fry is on the court, the Cavs are, were outscoring the Pistons by more than a point per minute. That is crazy. Um, that's like death lineup stuff. And but he didn't play the first yeah, but game how, either. How many minutes did he play in only, the series? Only twenty nine. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he. Yeah. Well, he but didn't... that's not for a four game series. That's not an insignificant amount. Well, it was really a three game. They should have played him more. He didn't get a. D, yeah. He got a DMP exactly. in game one. So that's what I'm saying. He he should have played more, or going he forward, definitely, going definitely f- should play more. I mean, they swept. So I mean, I'm not going to be overly critical. But going forward, he should play more. Yeah, um, and then Richard Jefferson surprisingly has been outstanding, especially that one game where he was a demon defensively. Um, yeah, he's next at uh, eighteen um, points, uh, plus or minus eighteen points in uh, sixty-six minutes. Delhi is third, LeBron is fourth, and then there's like a huge drop off. And then you got Tristan, or they, I'm sorry, then you got Kevin Love. Tristan, Jr., and then you got another huge drop off, and you got Kyrie that's just above zero. Shumpert who's at zero. Wait, Kyrie's just above zero? I thought he was like the second best player on the Cavs. <laughs> well, I'm sure I he's. Well, first of all, so well, and we should never talk about Kyrie. How, Kyrie how, is how, the best player of all time, <laughs> um, and all of this is meaningless. But no, Nate. Shockingly, um, the Cavs plus minus with Kyrie. Was uh, the only people that where the plus minus was lower was Shumpert and Moskov. Wow. Yeah. Well, so this is a I good. This is, well, go ahead, Eli. Before we 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 dive into this topic. Yeah, but <laughs> Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie plays a lot with the second unit, so I think it's actually not that horrendous that he still comes out positive, but maybe not as well. That's as a we catch hope. twenty-two argument because if you're playing with the second unit, it probably means you're going against other second units, right? So that kind of evens itself out. Yeah, but like if your teammates and the Cavs aren't spacing didn't really the floor, have any serious? You know, the second unit didn't get a lot of run this series either. No, it really didn't. They stuck. I mean, they were playing Kyrie almost the entire first quarter and almost the entire third quarter. So Nate, let's uh, let's get into this. Briefly, because we've had all these little tirades. <laughs> this has been a running uh, uh, debate all season. You know, it has. The, it has. 
So I don't know what the best way to do this is, other than I, I've heard all the counter arguments. I've heard all the like straw man arguments. Um, if anyone's listening to this and you're not familiar with all of our, you know, explaining what it is Delhi does well with the within the the Cavs identity, what it is Kyrie does or doesn't do well, and, um, and how much the rest of the team statistically right uh, so, so plays better with uh, Delvadova than they do with Kyrie. Right. So here's a couple of things. So. This kind of blew up because they talked about it on Mike and Mike the other day, where they it was after game two, and they were like, "Can you believe that the Cavs plus minus is like crazy off the charts with Delhi, and it's like not great at all with Kyrie? Isn't that crazy?" Or when LeBron and Kyrie play together, oh, it's just not that great. And when LeBron and Delhi play together, it's like otherworldly. And so that was was brought up. That was at the forefront, and then a guy. I forget his name, but some guy that I think writes for some Fox Sports affiliate published this little, like, two-minute True Hoop-style video of himself with actual subtitled text saying the Cavs have a big problem. And and what he was talking about was LeBron and Kyrie aren't making each other better and they aren't making the game easier. And um, why is it that, you know, I didn't watch the whole thing. And Tom is not jealous and bitter because he hasn't been talking about this for, for four years. Uh, for yeah. four years. No, I am jealous and bitter, and that's on me. But um, <laughs> but that guy took so much heat. And I get, I feel like some of the heat was just maybe for his uh, his tone, you know. He doesn't really know how to handle um, Kyrie's, the guy, all the people out there defending Kyrie's honor. you got to sort of like, yeah. you got to kind of sort of start with, Boy, Kyrie's the greatest such and such such and such of all time, yeah. and then you can sort of criticize him after you've yeah. after you've kissed his ass, you know. So, <laughs> um, I mean, the whole point of all this is that it doesn't when you have a team with a lot of high usage players like a LeBron, and of course you can put Kevin Love in that mix. Um, you know, people have to know their role a little bit. And the goal is just to score more points than the other team. It doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, breaking everyone on the other team's ankles and hitting crazy, you know, step back threes at the buzzer, or if you're hitting awkward, wrong legged layups. Like, a, you know, it's just, are you scoring more than the other team? That's all you really care about. So we have this entire season's worth of data to suggest that, um, you know, Delhi had a better raw plus minus, which really means the Cavs as a team were better when Delhi was on the court and then Kyrie was on the court. Now, Elijah, you could say, yeah, but, you know, Delhi's going against second units or, you know, garbage time, or you can come up with all kinds of caveats for why that might not really tell the whole story. And you're correct. So then you can look at, like, Rapham, or in this case, RPM, which I haven't looked recently, but near the end of the season. Uh, Delhi, I think, was top 100 in RPM, and I don't think Kyrie was even close to that. So yeah. that adjusts for lineups and everything else. That really is a good apples-to-apples comparison to um, how much credit does X player deserve for, for the team's success. So the problem is you can make these arguments, and the reason like someone like me would make them is to point out there is a problem, and there is room to grow. And what the Cavs really need is Kyrie's unbelievable talent to open up the game for other people, right. to make the offense more efficient, 
Um, and, and it really needs to be that way for Kyrie because, in general, throughout his career, he's been a minus defender. I mean, like right. a really minus defender. So, so where the well, wait, problem... let, let me just okay, okay. We... I know, I know, I know. So <laughs> you, you, the problem you've been is setting you, this up for a while. When you say all this, people don't really focus on what you're saying. What they hear is that you're you're advocating that Delhi is a better player than Kyrie somehow, which of course to them is ludicrous because it's like what, like one guy's a max player, a number one pick that has all these commercials, breaks people's ankles, can drop 50-plus points, and another guy, like, doesn't even score 10 points a game, and isn't he just, like, kind of semi-dirty? Isn't he just, you know, like a hustle guy? Like, how could you possibly think one guy is better than another guy who is arguably, like, the second-best point guard in the league? No, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying in a vacuum he's a better player. We're saying that the Cavs, given the way they're constructed... For, for whatever reason, we've talked about all, a million reasons why, but the fact is, they've played better with Delhi. And in this series, now it's only four games, it's a limited sample size, it's not really worth using this as like the crux okay, of the argument. Okay, enough of the caveats, Tom. They've, they've, <laughs> they played better with Delhi, um, which it doesn't, it doesn't compute, but it doesn't mean one guy's better than the other. It's a, it's a whole question of chemistry and a question of fit. Well, and the other thing that happens is people watch a game like last night and you see, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving had, what, 34 points? Yeah. And Kyrie Irving just hit some amazingly, ridiculously tough shots. He created offense from nothing. Right. But part of that is the Kobe effect, where guys see Kobe hitting a lot of really difficult shots and boy, that guy must be really good at basketball, whereas, you know, Tim Duncan sits there and hits a turnaround bank shot. You go, oh, that wasn't that hard. Right. You know, but well, here's there, the thing. There is basketball that effect, yeah. isn't about hitting hard shots. I mean, it is at times, but it is always easier to set yourself up for an easy shot and make that one than it is to put yourself in a bad situation and then make a really difficult shot. Yeah, that's you perfect, know? Nate, because... <laughs> If you watch the Cavs, um, you know, obviously defensively, you know, Delhi is an upgrade over Kyrie. But even at the offensive end, the Cavs' offense has been better this year. And a lot of it's because of the way Delhi runs the pick and roll and the way he keeps his head up and waits for the rollers and he throws very good lob passes. And he's a downhill player. We've talked about that. Um, it's not real complicated stuff. It's just. What he is doing is maximizing, especially Tristan Thompson's offensive game. You know, Thompson right. doesn't have any individual offensive skills uh, to speak of, but man, he can finish a nice lob. And and LeBron, as well, that and offensive rebounding are his two yeah. best offensive skills. Yeah, and then LeBron, as his outside shot has kind of abandoned him. Man, watching him the last two months of the season, and he, even some of those playoff games where he's playing pick-and-roll with Delhi and he's rolling to the hoop, or he's coming around curls after Delhi has already started to draw defenders towards him. Did someone just go outside in a storm? Or? Sorry, sorry. That's <laughs> no, okay. It was me. But just right, LeBron... Exhaled on the mic. This is There's two things I've noticed about the Cavs over the last two months. When you get the ball to LeBron or Kevin Love in space, so you don't throw it to him on the block or something, but they're moving and you hit them the ball while they're moving, 
And so they've got the ball, they've got a little space to operate, and now the defense is trying to react to their position. Just amazing things happen. Because those two guys are, are really good passers. Um, and Kevin Love's pretty good at drawing fouls around the hoop, and LeBron obviously is one of the best finishers, if not the best finisher of all time. And so that's a thing I saw Kyrie doing that a little bit in Game 4, but that is really not a skill he has flashed this year at all. And well, so, so that... The- yeah, go ahead. So the other thing that that this kind of it ends up people wanting to equate this with, oh, you guys are. And I heard this this morning on the really big show. Is like there are people in Cleveland that hate Kyrie so much that they're unhappy that the Cavs won because they would rather be right than the Cavs <laughs> win a game, and. Yeah, if if those people exist, they aren't us, right. and they aren't uh, anyone associated with this blog. All anyone has ever wanted, and the other reason that people talked about trading Kyrie is because if he is not making his teammates better and his team better, when he's on the floor, he's scoring, but he's taking offense away from the rest of his teammates, is he helping the team win? And are there players that the Cavs could trade Kyrie for that would help the team win more. Yeah, that, players that's that the are argument. right, and the, and where that argument more complimentary. So, but Wait, but when people when, when people argue that back, they say you want to trade him, almost like you're saying you want to cut him. It's like no, yeah, we talked about trading him for like Chris Paul, you know, yeah, like who's had a better season and who's had a better career and is right. more so, of a pass first point guard. Like that, you can argue that that would be not a great trade because Chris Paul's a little older. Um, but boy, I mean, we're not talking about like, oh yeah, let's just dump Kyrie and get, let's go pick up, you know, um, I don't know, Avery Bradley yeah, or Steve Blake or something. It's like, so, and then, and then it becomes this argument, well, there's a Kyrie camp and a Delhi camp, you know, the, and which it's silliness. Well, I will say there is a camp, there is a camp that defends Kyrie's honor and there is a camp that defends Delhi's honor. Right. I'm not saying they're pitting against each other. Is both guys to play great and the Cavs to win. That's what you want. (laughs) That's all we care about. And I thought in game four. The ideal situation is when they both play well and they're, even though they play the same position, they can share the floor together and there is enough minutes at the guard spots that both of those guys playing and playing well is that they're not mutually exclusive uh, situations. So they can complement each other. And to pretend that it's a binary equation is utterly ridiculous. No, it's not. So. And I thought, and here's the thing. I mean, Kyrie is a shot creator and they needed, they needed that in game four. I mean, right. I don't, I don't know that they win that game if he doesn't go off. Um, you know, it, it's it's you don't always want to rely on that because that's been hit or miss this year, right? But I mean, he he is a guy. He's really probably the only guy other than LeBron that can kind of single handedly win a game for the Cavs, and he did that in Game Four, and that may happen more often. And here's another thing: we've been really hard on Kyrie this year because man, his defense has been putrid, and and a lot of times his offense is that his offensive approach has been putrid. I thought. This series, even though the plus-minus, again, doesn't seem like he would, you know, really move the needle much, I thought his approach was way better than the regular season. 
uh, game one, I thought it, it was actually terrible, but games two through four, um, he was, he was never lazy defensively. He competed the entire time he was on the court. He was playing the scouting report. He kept trying to make Reggie Jackson go left. Um, he was, uh, actually trying to, um, you know, affect the roller on pick and rolls. He wasn't just flypaper Kyrie. And yeah. offensively, especially this game four, he was keeping his head up looking for guys rolling to the hoop. He had right. some nice plays with Kevin Love. Um, all, all series, he had some good plays, to, to good two-man action with Kevin Love. But he had some nice stuff. He had that play with TT in game four where he dribbled all the way around, and then when the defense came to get him, he just slipped it over to TT who threw it down. So that's a great sign. I mean... God, yeah, if, if, and and kind of the funny thing is, game four was his best passing game, and game four was also Delhi's best game of scoring inside, which was it was yeah, kind of was a, a role bit. reversal. Yeah, and Ty Lue brought that up too. He brought up man, Delhi came in and he said Delhi scored eleven straight for us. I think actually there was another bucket mixed in. Yeah, there. but it, it was it was there was only about one, I think, yeah. other bucket. And no, I thought <laughs> Delhi, I thought Delhi played great the whole series. Yeah, he may have single-handedly ended Steve Blake's career. With the, <laughs> <laughs> he just destroyed Steve Blake. At the By the end, way, did you guys see the player. Brandon Armstrong um, deli impression? That, oh, that yes. was fantastic. I saw that. Impression. The only thing I wish he would have done was the layup off the wrong leg. I really yeah. wish he would have done that. But... That and he needs to cock his head more when he shoots. Yeah, like... yeah. <laughs> he, he overplayed the, the mouth guard, like yeah. mouth open yeah. thing. But and I the did, diving. I, I, yeah, the diving. But I did enjoy the lob that went like 40 feet <laughs> over the <laughs> oh, Yeah, man. no, it was good. But, but then he had the lob where the guy actually flushed it. So, so, so Elijah, uh, you, as you an see, impartial wait, observer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I was going to say that. As an impartial observer, uh, you know, give us some feedback. Because you, you've been following our blog for a long time. And, you've seen and, and you're, you are dialed into the Cleveland sports yeah. uh attitudes you know you're a clevelander well you you spend a lot of time in cleveland give us your feelings are we being too hard on Kyrie? are we propping up delhi too much are we making too big a deal out of actual winning which is plus minus which it's i'm being facetious you can't but uh what say you i actually think this is very similar to the debate in the summer before free agency started with tristan thompson and kevin love a lot of people said, you know, the Cavs had to pick one or the other. And it made sense because both were free agents at the time. But um, I think at the end of the day, Kyrie's a Cav, Delhi's a Cav, and you want them both to be successful. And the numbers may show that, you know, Delhi is, has a net higher positive impact on the Cavs. So I would like to think that Lou is smart enough to put the Cavs in the best situation to win, and that might be playing Delhi more than Kyrie in certain games. I don't know if he's bold enough to do that. And like you guys also shared, you know, there are going to be games where we need Kyrie shot creation. Yeah. Um, but I do think um, when you know when you when Lou makes those adjustments as the playoffs go on, that might be something he has to consider. The numbers paint such a clear picture on it. I don't know how you can not try that and, you know, go out losing. And, and I said this last week, and, and I understand the other part of the argument is 
the Delhi may not be a good enough player that Delhi's best um, can win you an NBA championship, but Kyrie has the talent where Kyrie's best uh, can win you an NBA championship. Now, that's all theoretical because so far the numbers don't back that up at all. No, the Cavs uh, <laughs> had the third best lineup in the NBA, and it had Delhi at point guard. Now the the other part of that is over, over a lot of minutes, by the way, and that right, Cavs right, that Cavs death lineup to to kind of follow up Elijah. You said you you know they're they're approaching it the right way. That that lineup only played four minutes the entire series, so that that bothers me a little bit. That like that was clearly like not even close. The Cavs best lineup, and they only got four minutes of burn the whole series. Yeah, Maybe. that's go ahead. That's Nate. not very bright. <laughs> um, and then, the, and then the other side of that being, uh, the Cavs were such hot garbage at times in the regular season that you know a lot of those numbers are, are kind of moot for the Cavs. And if they're going to establish an identity and going to be great, they they have to do that, you know, not it, separate from the regular season. So, you know, both the arguments have merit. I, I tend to agree that for the Cavs to be their best, uh, both guys guys have to play a significant role. And I don't want to see Kyrie play 30 minutes. I want to see him play about 34, 35 minutes at the most. And, you know, Delhi get at least 25 minutes a night. So we, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. I think they just need to um, – I'm not, I'm, not I'm not sure I'm into the whole play – anyone a whole quarter i think that can be a little bit exhausting especially when you have some depth i think the Cavs had more depth than they utilized in this series i mean richard jefferson played great channing five played great part of that is i wonder i wonder if lou just is like okay i'm gonna you know burn these guys out a little bit but if we can get a four game sweep and rest for a week you know then i'm not going to worry about that next series but I, I don't really feel like the bench would have hurt him the way he thought it would. So well, I don't know. I, all I know is, you know, we beat an eight seed, and they were a good eight seed. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the ultimate prize here is a championship. And so if you're going toe-to-toe with the Warriors or the Spurs or, I don't know, the Clippers or Thunder, in that, you know, you, you just need to recognize um, – you know what, what what's going on, and, and you, you can't. So I, I I I guess I I hope that Lou has that wherewithal that he can bury egos and he can if they have to switch it up because I mean I just as I just explained to you earlier the Cavs were a hot mess defensively in first halves and they completely yeah. so whatever the change was whatever they were doing um you know there's lots of ways you can win basketball games you don't necessarily need a point guard that can drop 30 plus points. So if Kyrie's playing great and the team's playing great, Hey, that's incredible. And we'll, we'll all celebrate. If he's not, I hope they don't, they can, they can all, you know, be grown ups and you know, play deli if they need to, if they need yeah. more of a, and his, even, his style, even more than looking <laughs> at uh, the finals is, you know, looking at the next round, which is going to be Boston or Atlanta. Um, and, and and which guy gives the Cavs the best opportunity? And you know, against Atlanta, Jeff Teague, at least offensively, has owned Kyrie so far this year. Yeah, and uh, 
Kyrie has not played fantastically against Isaiah Thomas either. Uh, so I feel like you're going to see a little more burn from the backups. Uh, I feel like against Boston, you're going to see more Shumpert because Shumpert really defends uh, Isaiah Thomas yeah, well. Yeah, he really did. He had a lot of um, good games against Isaiah. You're right. Yeah, and uh, and I think uh, I think Delhi played. Delhi does a really good job did. against Schroeder yeah. and uh, Teague. Yeah. So. So, who would you rather see Elijah out of that series? I honestly think I'd rather see Boston than Atlanta. Even though I know history has shown us that we, the or not we, sorry, the Cavs take care of business against Atlanta. I think if um, I think if anything, the Detroit series has kind of made me a little bit more wary of the better three point shooting teams. If we're especially if we're not going to close out as well as we did in the regular season statistically, I'd rather um, play a team that's not as strong from three. And I think Atlanta is definitely a stronger team from outside the arc than Boston is. I see that. My only caveat with that is Boston is a team. It, I feel like Atlanta has one or two thugs. <laughs> you know, they've yeah. got Kent, ba- Kent Bazemore and they've got uh, Al Horford. Mike, Mike Scott and Al Horford. Whereas, and, and Anna Horford. Yeah, She's a whereas, thug on Twitter. <laughs> whereas Boston has five or six guys that will literally try to rip your arms out of your socket. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they just have so many stupid hijinks. Like, did you guys catch that uh, Marcus Smart? flop the other night yes i yes. did oh my <laughs> where, god where he jumped into the sideline and started holding his uh his his family jewels in in writhing agony when yeah. he wasn't even hit i'm like yeah. are you kidding me that was i mean like, that's just that was like a ragdoll in a video game getting <laughs> it was just so ridiculous yeah, it was incredible and and he got that's the highest flopping fine i've ever heard is what do you get five grand <laughs> it was like so ridiculous, <laughs> and the best part about that is that is not going to help his future. He is he's going to not get some calls in the future because of that play. Yeah, <laughs> because it was just well, who would you? To, rather, it was you play to forgive game? the pun. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> who would you? Who would you rather play, Nate? I would much rather play Atlanta. Um, really? for the for the. I I just feel like Boston is trying to hurt guys. You know what I mean? I yeah. I feel like Boston is they don't care about. I mean, you you got Isaiah Thomas smacking guys in the face, and I I don't think they care about the integrity of the game or you know protecting the players that you play against. Uh, I I think they just want to beat guys up. Yeah. And I don't want to play that in a, in a series. And I, I actually like the way the Cavs have played against Atlanta for the past couple seasons. So, yeah. Um, and I actually think Brad Stevens is a better coach than than Mike Budenholzer. So, you know, Brad Stevens, who had been zero and six, but is now uh, two and six uh, against you know, all time in the playoffs. Uh, Mike Bodenhauser has not impressed me in this playoffs with kind of 
another guy who seems to get overly emotional and that emotion can kind of uh, cloud his judgment and make his team overly emotional. Yeah. So. I'm kind of shocked Atlanta's having as much trouble with Boston as they are. Cause yes. I mean, Boston is not as good of a team and they're missing a lot of players. So um, I feel like Atlanta's choking a little bit and yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, well, and that's the other thing. I think Atlanta's not a very mentally tough team. Yeah, and I think the, the Cavs have matched up very well uh, yeah. with Atlanta. And the other thing is Atlanta does try to run a motion offense to, to shake Kyle Korver free on screens. And I think becoming disciplined and learning to defend that and to deny that could pay off if you go up against the Warriors uh, versus Boston just tries to junk up the game and believe in Isaiah Thomas and all this other crap. They're, they're not... They're a goofy team, the way they're constructed. Yeah. They're not really characteristic of any other team in the NBA. Well, I, and I appreciate the way they've built that team out of, you know, spare parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they can use this offseason to get a star or two, they, they could be very dangerous in the future. I actually think you're going to see there's a possibility that Atlanta gets blown up this offseason. Um, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, Atlanta, Horford could leave and... Corver, I think. Corver can leave, and uh, Baysmore's you know, a free agent, and and that leaves uh, Millsap and Teague. and Jeff Teague. But if if those are your guys, wouldn't you just look at possibly trading Millsap and starting over? So it's hard to well, say. Check it out, guys. So uh, the Cavs really need to play the Hawks because. Um, let me check my. I call it the dominatrix. It's a playoff. <laughs> do, it's a playoff domination matrix that I put together. Uh, Tom. <laughs> and let me just. Can you give all the teams weird S and M masks in the uh, in the dominatrix? You don't like that name. You don't think that's clever. Uh, have you, you ever watched the league? You know I haven't. Everyone tells me uh, I need to. You should. A lot. Yeah, Domination League, right, Elijah? Yeah, Domination League. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. All right, so check this out. So the Cavs have some very uh, interesting streaks alive. So as I as I posted on Twitter, and it hasn't gone viral yet, help me out, podcast fans. Um, the Cavs <laughs> Let, tied Let's it. get 20 likes. Yeah. <laughs> Please, um, the uh, the Tom Pestak hand jamming numbers into an Excel spreadsheet sports bureau would like to present to you that with yesterday's win, the Cavs tied an all time NBA record for consecutive playoff victories against the same opponent, and that number is twelve. Uh, they've beat the Detroit Pistons twelve straight times, going back to two thousand seven when they won the final four games, including Game Five and the Booby Gibson game, and then in two thousand nine. They swept the Pistons, and then, of course, they just completed a sweep of the Pistons. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, so that, that, that is a current streak, and if the Cavs meet the Pistons next season, they could set the all-time NBA record, assuming they win game one. But they also have two current streaks alive of eight straight wins. They have a streak of eight straight wins against the Wizards, 
because they swept them the last two seasons. And they have a streak of eight straight wins against the Hawks because they swept the Hawks in 2009 and they swept the Hawks last year. So they need to get the Hawks in this next round so that they can sweep them. And then they will have playoff domination win streaks of 12 <laughs> games, 12 games, and they eight games. They will have two appearances on the dominatrix. They will. They will have, they will, <laughs> they will have tied their own all-time NBA record that they just tied with the Lakers from the 80s. Do not put this as a keyword for this blog, okay? <laughs> I'm going to put playoff dominatrix. Yeah. No. <laughs> Great. So, I mean, that. think about that, though. That That's crazy. The NBA has been around a long time. Um. The Cavs have really taken care of business in the early rounds of the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to matter who they play, but just because I want to be able to bring up the playoff dominatrix again, I hope they play Atlanta. <laughs> Please, we need a logo, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they, play, if they play Boston, they could get another team with eight straight. Eight, yeah, you're right. They could. They could. So, um, so kind of moving on to the rest of the Eastern Conference Finals, who are you looking – who do you think comes out of the Atlanta-Charlotte series? Do you give Charlotte a chance? You mean, you mean at what? You mean uh, Miami-Charlotte, Miami, sorry. Yeah, I do, I do give them a chance, actually, because I feel like the Heat um, – Their YOLO shooting has uh, – Evaporated. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a little bit of fool's gold, what, what Lou Albeng yeah. was doing. I just – I was shocked at what they did those first two games. It just felt like – okay, they can't shoot outside, and they're going up against the best defense in the NBA by some accounts. How the heck were they putting up that many points? I don't know. I think maybe Charlotte just like wasn't mentally prepared for the playoffs or something, and now they've won two straight. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to how that series plays out. What do you think about uh, Toronto Indy, though? I I am really kind of shocked at how mentally fragile to Toronto seems yeah. shocked and shocked and pleased. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I was kind of scared of them at certain times this year. And now I just like, why was I worried about this team? I, I, mean, I think Toronto wins in seven. It's like Kyle Lowry gets the yips in the playoffs or something. It's weird. Yeah. And, and I also think Indiana is a really bad matchup for them for the same reason that the Cavs are that Paul George is the best player in that series. Um, and Hill is a really good counter for Lowry. Um, Miles Turner, man, that dude's a And load. Miles Turner, God, what a great rookie class this is. It really is, yeah. I mean, it, Miles Turner, Stanley Johnson, uh, just so many good rookies. And, and rookies making playoff uh, contributions uh, throughout throughout the playoffs. So it, it's it's nice to see. Yeah. Well, we have somehow exhausted. I can't believe we did this. We exhausted our entire topic list, Nate. So no, it, we didn't talk about the future of the Pistons. Oh my gosh! All right, the team that just has been beat. The team I keep hearing about the Cavs Pistons rivalry. Uh, yeah, the Cavs have won twelve yeah. straight. Tell me about so, the future of. So I, I really, I'm a little scared if the Pistons get a a backup point guard that's any good, uh, and b. A, a big man that can play in a stretch four lineup because that guy is not uh, Tobias Harris. But they yeah. had Urson, and it didn't work, though. 
Yeah, well, he's he's a little he's a little old. So I I feel like the Pistons have a bright future, and I was really impressed with Stanley Johnson in this playoffs. I mean, despite the I'm in LeBron's head bravado, which I think you need a little bit of that bravado just to kind of psych yourself into the game. I was impressed with Contavious Caldwell Pope. I, I thought he played really well this series. What? Give us your uh, your Detroit takes, hot takes, Elijah. I actually think Detroit won't be going away anytime soon. I really like their team. I know it's kind of a hodgepodge of talent, and there's a lot of redundancy in the you know combo forwards. You got Tobias, you got Marcus, you got. I guess Stanley Johnson is more of a traditional wing player, but um, you know Morris is on a good contract. Um, Stanley Johnson's obviously one of the better rookies, and. You know, they still have Drummond and Reggie Jackson, so I do think they will get better. I actually yeah. think Reggie Jackson's one of the worst parts of that team because he just does – he goes so off script at times. That's true, but I think if they can somehow rein him in, I think he's kind of like Westbrook. You just got to find the right situation. Yeah, and that's, get a, him good, right that's situation. a good he comparison. That. Well, I mean, he's not that talented or that athletic, but – He is, though, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's not a bad comparison, though. You know, he can get he can get to the basket. He can create shots. He's kind of a dog. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, so, so what about? What I can't about, believe neither of you guys brought up Contavious Caldwell Pope. I thought he was by far and away the best defender. I mean, there were times Kyrie so could, he could play not Gary, shake him. He and, did play Gary D. And, He's a Curry stopper, and he hit a bunch of threes. I mean, he was smoking yeah. the corner three. No, I actually. Going forward, the the Pistons have a very good first six lineup uh, for the future. When you talk about Drummond and Harris, and yeah, they uh, just have no Chris bench. Harris, they have no bench, and if they if they get one or two bench guys, they they that that's a team that a veteran bench player could really help. Yeah. So yeah, KCP hit three threes per game in that series against us. That's a that's a team. And and I I hate to say it that's a team where Delhi would be absolutely perfect for them as a bench point guard. Yeah, and, hush, keep your mouth shut. Oh, oh, we're, come we're, lock, on. we're locking up Delhi. Come on, Stan Van Gundy or Jeff Van Gundy, who insisted that he's worth ten million, get ten million a year. He ain't gonna tell his brother that. Come on. Yeah. But he, uh, you know. I'm not, I'm not telling Ron Jeremy something he doesn't already know. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ron Jeremy and Dominatrix in the uh, in the tags for the. Oh man! Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, okay. this podcast got a little long in the tooth. Got long in the tooth. So <laughs> I want I want some final thoughts on on, on anything on the Cavs or whatever. What what, what do the Cavs need to work on on their week off, Eli? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Defense. That's it. Defense. I just, yeah, I just think they need to shore up their defense, and I think, I mean, they're still shooting great, so I guess keep on doing what they're doing from a shooting practice perspective, I guess. And but, uh, and and figure out the minutes rotation. I want to. Yeah, see I think get they got to play Fry more. I mean, I just don't understand. I think I don't know if you guys followed uh, like all the cast players today, but it looks like they're all at LeBron's house yeah. today. Watching yeah, except, the nutty professor. Who's watching Air Bud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Yep. so there you go. 
Uh, what about you, Tom? What do the Cavs need to work on? Yeah, I, I, I think they obviously need to figure out um, defensively what they just look at what they did wrong, how, how they let the Pistons shake free for so many three-pointers because the Pistons aren't a great three-point shooting team, especially in game one. They just got too many looks. Um, and, and part of that makes me think maybe that's what the Cavs were conceding because they didn't feel like the Pistons were going to be able to sustain that. Well, I think the other thing they need to look at is they were pretty bad in first quarters and they were outstanding in third quarters and they were generally running the same people. So yeah. what what was going on with their approach? You know, I notice pretty much LeBron James led teams it, since the beginning of time kind of try to feel out their opponent in first quarters yeah. and maybe they need to just start attacking right from the get go. I mean, they don't got Mozgov yeah, in there I, I anymore. I feel like they try and establish one or two guys early at, and a lot of times it's love. I feel like they're worried more about offense than they are about defense. Yeah. They just don't seem like they're they have the right sense of urgency or they're playing at You know, maybe maybe Lou speed. needs to, you know, spring a couple traps or a couple presses early just to, you know, throw the other team off at the yeah. beginning. Of- it just seems like they're not the aggressor in first quarters as much. Yeah. Yeah, so, and maybe the answer to that—that's what is, I want Lou to work on: some wrinkles. Yeah. Work on some wrinkles, Coach Lou. Yeah. So I think uh, just a quick thought here. I think Lou actually does try certain different wrinkles in the playoffs. I think last year in the Chicago series, his wrinkle was to leave Pau Gasol wide open for mid range. <laughs> but for some reason, he like plays the percentages, and then he like refuses well, to that- come back off of it. That's kind of what you have to do in the NBA, though, too, is because you're always going to concede against good teams. You're always going to concede something. Well, I thought their approach defensively against uh, Atlanta last season was phenomenal. They just blanketed Corver, and then he got hurt eventually. You Um, blanket Corver, and after that, they just yeah, it was like they went under the screens constantly. They just dared Teague and Schroeder to shoot, and those guys. Um, yeah, I know Teague's got a good regular season shooting percentage, but he's got an ugly shot, and it's just not something that he trusts or anyone trusts in the playoffs in crunch time. And I thought the Cavs played it perfectly, and Tristan just completely shut down Millsap. Um, Millsap, yeah, yeah, and uh, and Delhi got in Horford's head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, guys, this is a fun podcast. This is our second. Monday night podcast just, you know, has to do with the fact that the Cavs played on Sunday. Uh, we will return to our regularly scheduled Sunday night as soon as we can. Otherwise, we'll, we'll probably keep... next weekend since the Cavs are playing uh, next Monday. Uh, no matter the, the, the NBA schedule makers have decreed. Perfect. So. Yeah, so we've gotten um, probably about four or five submissions um, so far for a new recap uh, writer, staff member, and we've got some really good ones. Like, I've been extremely impressed and happy, um, and, you know, we're not going to make a decision quite yet because we're going to allow a little more time for people to submit. But I, I honestly think what we're going to do is we're going to pick up uh, one person here almost immediately that we think is just ready to go, like, with almost no you know, editing or coaching or anything. Um, and then 
Uh, We're not even sending them down to the down to the charge. No, no, <laughs> right? They'll be thrust into the rotation, Channing Fry style. And then because we've gotten so many other good submissions, um, there's I think there's more room at the table, and so I think. Uh, we're going to actually probably try to add another person at some point. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be the off so, season. So if you are interested, uh, you know, give us something this week, uh, you know, a recap, a sample recap, uh, or, or whatever, uh, as a, uh, as a writing sample. So that, uh, if you're interested in writing, uh, contributing to Cavs blog. Yeah. And actually, if you're interested in any other kind of content, um, maybe, you know, recaps aren't your thing. Submit that too, because again, we're going to be looking. Um, we're going to be looking in the off season. I mean, we're adding more content, and we, I want to keep adding more types of content, so that Cavs the blog is really just every day you can hang out and and have fun and chat and see cool stats and you know watch videos of of Robert talking in his library, whatever that <laughs> <wherever> <laughs> it was. Um, and Elijah's uh, pitch perfect podcast voice. So, um, so yeah, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put uh, some more logs on the, on the campfire here and, uh, and try to add more people. But yeah, so far, man, I think we've got some really great submissions. I'm like sending them to the other guys. Like we got to get this guy too. And everyone's like, okay, slow down. Like, let's not pull a Mike Longabardi here and like, change up how we do things right in the middle of the playoffs. <laughs> like let's stick to what works, add one person, and then we'll, we'll make some more decisions in the off season. So I think that's what we're going to do. And as always, go Cavs, go Cavs, go Cavs. All right, man. Again, it's like we just, Can we, I- we get on a roll and it's just hard to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really thought we were pacing ourselves. I, I kept my mouth shut. Most yeah, you kept your mouth shut? No, at the beginning, I'm saying. Oh, yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. You killed me when you, you set up the uh, the Delhi Kyrie thing. Oh, I know. I just kept. I I just kept well, yeah. no, the funny thing is it would not building. be that big of a deal if we had literally not had the same podcast two other times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. But Oh, no worries. That's my rant. So. I, I should have given you a harder time about it in the, the, in the, moment. the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Uh, no, a lot of fun. Uh, thanks. And you recorded, right, Tom? I did. Yeah, I kept okay. my my. Uh, I kept this thing up, so every time it gave me. So the, one I'm thing I stop. noticed. One thing I noticed, you get a lot of background noise. Me. Yeah, like when you put it on mute, it's like. <laughs> it's it, like. Uh... <laughs> it's like somebody drops a blanket over the. You know, it's so quiet. Did you know, notice man. that? Did you notice that, Elijah? I kind of do, actually. I think, yeah. is your mic, like, next to, like, I, I your think, desk or something? Like, is it on your desk? Or, or I is think it you just headset? might have a, cr- a crappy mic. I have a $4 Micro Center mic. Well, I, that probably I need, I, I need to buy this mic that this dude at work let me borrow. That was awesome. The Yeti? Uh, no, it wasn't a, well, I don't know what it was. Just get a so headset the, with the mic. I mean, that's So, yeah, I, I got a Logitech headset with a mic, and it's worked pretty well, and I think I paid. You sound pretty good, so maybe. I know it is. Maybe, maybe that is what I need. Uh, I paid $20 for it. I'll send you the model. All right. All right, yeah. Well, sorry about that. About oh, no worries. Ones. I just no, want to. I'm always, I'm always, I like, thought you might want to know. I'm always pissed when I feel like 
Um, other people have background noise, so I feel bad. Well, hopefully we got our levels better this time because well, you guys I felt like even, you were. So hopefully I'm not blown. I felt like away. you were killing everybody last time. Yeah, I did. Too. And I was I too. way under. I was cringing. I was listening in my car on the way to work. And I'm just like, oh man, people are gonna listen to two hours of this. This is like <laughs> this, is, this is wrong. I felt terrible. Yeah. Well, at least uh, at least you didn't have like someone g chatting you. Oh gosh, that always is happening. It's usually me, so luckily it happened uh, in the micropod last weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. honestly, it's... and I think it was me. Oh, was it? I'm usually getting. <laughs> you I'm usually getting like, hey, let's play Rocket League. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, Rocket League's uh, hoops uh, thing released tonight, so they have like a basketball mode. I've seen some. Sick. I've seen some commercials for it lately. Yeah. It's pretty sick. It, does your car get a catapult on it? So no, but can... no, there's a ramp. But um, <laughs> there, are, as a DLC, which I'm certainly going to buy, you get flags for all 30 NBA teams. So I can start right yeah. now. My car, I call it the Chiquita because it looks <laughs> like a. I've got the Chiquita banana lady on my hood, and I've got um, I've got a little hula girl, like bobblehead hula, on my antenna and my cars are like think of tropical starburst like they're that they're that color scheme but now i'm gonna have to switch it up i think i'm gonna go with a cavalier theme now that i can get a Cavs flag (laughs) so do you have any video of you playing rocket league i just i just recorded a video of a goal i had last weekend it was my best goal ever okay so i want to see some video okay i want to see I want to see Tom's Rocket League channel. Well, maybe I need, yeah. Okay, you need a webcam you... too, though, so you can see your yeah, facial expression. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll think about that. Getting a Twitch. Well, I have a Twitch account. Maybe I'll think about getting yeah. a webcam and streaming, and then I can share that if you're interested. But right now, I do have a pretty sick goal that I'm going to post and try to upload to Rocket League Cinema and see if they'll. I I also had a really sick save like two weeks ago, so. I have two possible submissions to the Rocket League Cinema that I think would be worthy of a weekly like top ten list. <laughs> How so, often do you um, play? Not as much anymore now that um, you know we had our son and I got a new job. So I'm your just like, son, uh, Yolo Rocket Pest. <laughs> yeah, Yolo Rocket. Yeah. Um, so uh, when I mean, we probably, were probably I don't play every night anymore, but when I do play now, it's more like an hour or less where. Like two months ago when my job was really easy and I only had two kids, I was probably playing like, I mean, I hate to admit it, but probably like almost two hours a night. Like I was playing a lot. What's your wife think? When she, she, was sli- she was definitely sleeping. And oh, if she okay. listens to this podcast, she'll just probably throw my computer like out the window. <laughs> so I have a question for you. So like when your wife was in labor, we were sending <laughs> you uh, a lot of name suggestions. Yes, uh, yes. Were, 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 were they welcomed or were you cringing every time you read them? I think at first she made a horrific face because <laughs> I think she thought that I was, like, giving you guys details about like, her <laughs> condition. And then I was like, no, 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 they just, all they know is, like, we're going to have a baby. And she's like, oh, okay. And so then at that point, at first, she thought it was kind of funny, but then the longer like, <laughs> I did it, she was kind of like, "Okay, the joke's over," you know. But here's here's but, a, and then it was funny again, and then it was over again. So here's kind of a funny story. So, um, 
so this was the first time we've had we have three children now. But this was the first time my wife had to be induced. Um, it wasn't serious, but there were just some issues they were a little concerned with. So it was a different labor experience, and it was a lot longer. And so you know we were twenty four hours into this and didn't have a lot of sleep, and it was becoming uncomfortable. And I think we were just getting really antsy, you know, like you're like in this small yeah, hospital yeah. room for like 24 hours. So I was thinking like I brought my laptop and I brought an HDMI cable and I figured out how to like hack into the hospital's TV system, which had all the, the HDMI and everything like blocked. But I fi- I like looked online and figured out like a service code, <laughs> like a way around it. So, wow. I hooked, so I hooked up my laptop to the TV and I have like Amazon Prime. And you started playing Rocket League. No, I did not stop playing Rocket League. No, I was like, okay, let's find a movie that can take our mind off this. So I'm on Amazon Prime searching, and I'm looking for something light. So I'm looking in the comedy uh, genre, and um, this movie comes up called like, like something country, like um, country living or or like. Um, back to the country or something like that. And I'm, and my wife grew up in the country and she's very fond of it and tells me all the time, she wants to be back to the country. So I'm like, okay, this is a comedy. It's about country living. And then the, the synopsis is like a big city doctor takes a summer retreat to the mountains of North Carolina to find out like what's really important in life. And I'm thinking like, wow, they could not have scripted a better movie. Like for my wife, like, let's watch this. Okay, this movie was not a comedy. Was it, it a horror film? It wasn't a horror. It was a super dramatic. It was like imagine a Lifetime movie, uh, but like but like actually pretty good acting. It wasn't like cheesy, but like, so like so like a Sandra Bullock drama. But it was more. I mean, it, it was good <laughs> acting. So st- movie starts off, and it's she's like, an Academy Award winner, Tom. I, I love Sandra Bullock, but I'm just <laughs> she's a little cheeky. So anyway. This movie starts off and it's like, oh, the doctor, like his wife died like a month ago. Oh, that's a great setting to start off a movie. They go to North Carolina. It's not funny. I mean, it's a good movie. It's not funny. And then we're watching it and there's a scene where this woman is going into labor and the cord is wrapped around the baby and the baby's like turning blue. And we're like, watch this. And I'm like... Are you kidding me right now? You know, <laughs> like and how could I have picked a worse picked movie a worse for this movie? moment? And so the doctor has to do a C-section on her without any anesthetic, and I'm just sitting here like, "Oh my god!" Like I can't. So, and all you could think about was like little Yuri Welsh Pestak going <laughs> going through this. I wasn't worried for anyone's safety, but I was worried for my wife's like emotional well-being. So we turned off the movie, right? We watched something different. We watched this movie with uh, Renee Zellweger about going to, like, Minnesota and dealing with those. You know, it was all the stereotypes of... Oh, dealing with flyover country? Yeah, exactly. I was dealing with Minnesotans. Um, So that was not a good movie, but it was at least kind of lighthearted. So anyway, like, a week later, um, (laughs) I'm, I'm... Everyone's asleep, and... I decide I'm going to watch the end of this movie because like <laughs> it was really kind of gripping. So guess what happens like about 15 minutes after the scene where the doctor performs the emergency C-section and saves the baby's life and the mother's life. The baby dies. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Like it's, it's supposed to be like a couple weeks later, 
but the father, you know, they're in like a trailer and the father wakes up. He's got his life together. The the birth of the child has turned his uh, life around. He's got work now. He puts What on is his, the name of this movie? Country his, Living? He puts on I, I'll find it. He puts on his tool belt and <laughs> as he's going to kiss his infant daughter goodbye, he realizes she's like blue and not breathing. I mean, it was I was I was actually crying and I don't really cry. <laughs> I was like losing, I was losing it. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, thank God I turned that movie off. That's why he was crying. Like if we had got to this scene in the hospital, this would have just been the worst thing ever. All right, let me, let me look up what this movie is called. Uh. Um, Yeah. But like, and the other thing was it was, it was in like the family section and I'm like, no, man, this is a movie that's going to make grown men cry. Like, this is not a family movie. <laughs> uh, I, fine, tell me the name so I can never watch it. Um, that sounds like my own personal hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I, you know what? I will, I will find it, and I will put it in the... Uh, the podcast um yeah thanks since i've been recording this whole segment <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and so uh, a a happy and, and all our wishes for a happy and healthy kybron kevin pestak so yeah yuri welsh pestak <laughs> uh, uh what was it what was my favorite what was my favorite name suggestion wait is this it uh leb this is it, this is it. <laughs> it's called country remedy Country Remedy. In order for big city doctor Evan Gibbs to get the job of a lifetime, he must spend his summer in the mountains of North Carolina. Arriving in Dunn's Rock with his 10-year-old son, the doctor discovers what is most important to him and learns to enjoy the simple things in life. Country Remedy, also known as Simple Things, is a charming and uplifting comedy about the healing power of community. Lies, Nate. <laughs> Lies. There is more death and misery in this movie than you could possibly imagine, and it is gut wrenching. <laughs> because you know how the movie ends. The no, movie is- I don't. Don't. No spoil. Spoiler alert. Are you, you going to actually see the movie? No. No. So the- but for anybody who doesn't want us to be as spoiled, the movie it ends with the kids. The, the doctor's ten-year-old son has asthma. And he decides to, like, go out to the woods to try to use magic to resurrect his dead mother. And oh, for- my God. And he forgets his inhaler and passes out and almost dies. That's how the movie ends. Wow. Now, it does. he does survive. The, the, the whole community gets together. And it's an uplifting because they all go up to the woods and they find him. And then his dad stabs him with an EpiPen and he wakes up. And then it just ends. But it's like... Not a family movie, really, and wow, is that heavy. So be careful. Don't try read the read the reviews. Don't just trust the little like synopsis before <laughs> you rent a movie when you're at the hospital and your wife's being induced. Take cut, so there's this... measure measure twice, cut once. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna have to uh, put a link with this pod because there's a fantastic. Um, Instagram feed, uh, and it's all fake synopsises for uh, uh, Amazon Prime movies or, like, uh, Netflix movies. And one of them is, like, (laughs) uh, Deliverance, the director's cut. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I'll have to include the link. It's pretty great. So, All right. 
Anyway, uh, so go uh, go tuck in little Leb Awesome No Threats Pest Ad. <laughs> and uh, and uh, call it a night. Stanky leg, heavy, heavy clothes out. St- why, why shoot when you're open to Pest my Stanky defense, pipe pe- my defense, Stanky Pipe Pest Ad. My defense is my offense Pest <laughs> uh, uh, I think you should have just... Uh, Named him. You looking for the pest act? <laughs> you looking to get the pest act? I just thought Delhi. Period would be a good name. No last yeah. name, no middle name, just Delhi. I think hell of a pest act would have been a good name. Mm, yeah, that would have been good. <laughs> okay. Anyway, good night, gentlemen. All right, guys. This good night, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blog. There's a fire. And we're out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.